Today's reading is a a selection of verses from Habakkuk 1, 2, and 3. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, The produce of the olive fail, and the yields field no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ursula, for that reading. Um, I didn't choose Habakkuk. Uh, When I offered to fill in as uh, Lou was going on sabbatical, uh, uh, Alex and Daniel, I think, sent me an email of the series they were doing over the next few months, and I noticed it was a series in the Old Testament, and I immediately thought, well, maybe I I won't preach. And... um, (laughs) And then I looked at the topics, and I thought, well, there's one on hope. Uh, that, that would be an interesting topic. But then it said Habakkuk afterwards, and I thought, well, I'll just trust them that Habakkuk has something to do with hope. And uh, so here we are. Habakkuk has a lot to do with hope. I'm honored to be with you this morning. I'm honored to be with you every uh, morning that Alicia and I um, are here as, as uh, members here at Grace and um, but it's particularly uh, good to be with you and to have this opportunity. I was talking with uh, one of you. I won't out the person. Um, but uh, this person was saying that it's kind of been nice to have voices from our community up in front here over the summer months um, to hear from different ones of us in, in different ways. And as we talked about it, um, I think we both felt that one of the things it, it did is it reminded us that we're the church. That, that we are the people of God. And I don't know about you, but I know for me it can be tempting to come into this place and expect that, that Lou and Beth and Alex and Daniel and the rest of the staff, that, that, that they're here to meet our spiritual needs. And so I come and I, I wait for them to, to do the magic. Right? And I think a much better way to think about why we gather together is that we're responsible for one another. We're We're family. We have spiritual needs, and those spiritual needs need to get met, but we're responsible. 
I, I think of um, C.S. Lewis's notion of the weight of glory. He says that, that my neighbor's weight of glory has been laid on my back, and my weight of glory has been laid on your back. That there's a mutual responsibility we have for one another's glorification, sanctification. And, you know, we all need more biblical teaching than what we get on Sunday mornings. And thankfully, we live in a, a time and place where, where through podcasts and CDs and through Bible study materials, we can be in Scripture in various ways throughout our week. So we come here, and, and the pressure's off this time to be our biblical teaching for the week. Um, some of us might wish or long for more of a liturgical worship. And so we can, we can live out a liturgical rhythm, a form of worship in our days and our week. I, I have a friend who told me that when he drives to work, he imagines Christ on the cross on his left and the empty tomb on his right. I don't quite know what that imagery does for him, but it's very liturgical. There's a form to his drive to work. As he drives to work, he's hemmed in by the the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we can bring a liturgical rhythm of worship to our days and our weeks so that when we show up on Sunday morning, I don't need worship to be a certain way because we've been worshiping throughout the week. And so again, I hope that part of what we are becoming here and have been becoming for a long time at Grace is, is a family that are mutually responsible for one another's progress in becoming more like Jesus. And, and that topic isn't completely a tangent because um, our topic this morning is hope. And I would hope that one of the things we hope for is the continued health and growth of our community, that we hope for what God might continue to do in and through us. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Habakkuk, and uh, in the Pew Bible, it's 785. Um, when I thought about hope, I, um, I thought of a camping trip that I took um, this summer, actually with some families here at Grace, and one of the uh, campgrounds we ended up, with, uh, ended up at was Yellowstone National Park, and there was a few of us that decided uh, we wanted to try our hand at fishing, and so we chartered a fishing boat to go fishing on uh, Yellowstone Lake. And um, this is my daughter, Sienna, and uh, she's really having a horrible time fishing, you can tell there from the smile on her face. But as we were driving out to the fishing spot, Sienna said to me over the, the hum of the engine, Daddy, do you think we're going to catch any fish? Well, I haven't had much luck or skill or whatever it is when it comes to fishing. Uh, so I said, honey, I don't know, but I hope so. Well, that wasn't good enough for Sienna. She came back at me again and said, but, but daddy, do you think we'll catch any fish? And I said, honey, I, I don't know for sure, but I, I hope so. And Sienna's not here to verify this this morning, but I think she came back at me one more time and she said, yeah, but daddy... Do you think we'll catch fish? And I said, honey, I don't think we will, but I hope we will. And it struck me that hope is a different kind of attitude that you take towards life. 
We hope for things when we don't know for sure, when we're unsure, uh, when we don't even have enough confidence to believe we can still hope. We hope for things when we want them to happen. We might need them to happen, but we don't know for sure that it's going to happen. Paul says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And faith helps us hope, and hope helps us love. We want to be hopeful people. Now, hope is not ungrounded optimism, right? The optimist would have said, oh yeah, honey, we're going to catch a ton of fish today. We're going to all catch our limits, right? Hope doesn't let us escape into the flights of fantasy, of delusion. Hope grounds us. But hope is also not unchecked pessimism. The pessimist would have said, no, we're not going to catch any fish. We'll be lucky if the boat you know, makes it out of the harbor. <laughs> no, hope, hope doesn't let us fall into the pit of despair either. In the words of my friend Keith Dowds, hope right-sizes us. It grounds us. It forces us to face the facts and not go to some sort of pie-in-the-sky wishful thinking. But it also keeps us grounded and out of that pit of despair and doubt and hopelessness. So how do we become people of hope? Well, Habakkuk has something to say to us about this. Uh, Habakkuk is a prophet of Israel. He's living around uh, 609 B.C., we think. He's living in a time in Israel's history where there's a lot of corruption. There's a lot of violence. Uh, Israel is falling apart at the seams. In fact, in just a few short years after Habakkuk writes this testament, uh, Israel itself is going to fall into Babylonian captivity. Jerusalem's going to be sacked. So these are tough times. Habakkuk's an interesting prophet because unlike some of the other prophets in the Old Testament, the word of the, the word of the Lord doesn't come to Habakkuk. Habakkuk goes to the Lord. And so we see, and Ursula read it for us, that at the beginning of Habakkuk, Habakkuk goes to the Lord and he goes with a lament. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? This this Hebrew tradition of crying out, How long, O Lord? Why, O Lord? What's going on, Lord? I'm confused. I'm disoriented. Where are you in this? And Yahweh responds. And it's an interesting response. Because Yahweh says, I hear you, Habakkuk. And uh, don't worry. uh, It's going to get worse. I'm going to send the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, and if you think things are unjust now, just wait until you see the Chaldeans. They're really unjust. If you think things are violent in Israel now, just wait until the Chaldeans come. They're more violent than you can imagine. If you think Israel's godless now, just wait for the Chaldeans. They don't even worship me. They worship a false god. Have you ever been in a situation like that? You cry out to God for help, you say, Lord, we, we, we need you here. And it seems like the answer is to turn up the heat. 
What I love about Habakkuk's response, what I love about the, 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 the realism of Scripture, and part of what I think gives Scripture that ring of truth, is it'd be so easy for the biblical authors to say, oh, yes, God, you're in control, and okay, and, you know, your ways are not our ways. But that's not what they do. They talk back. And Habakkuk talks back to God. This is uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of it. He said, Habakkuk says, God, you're, you're from eternity, aren't you? Holy God, we aren't going to die, are we? God, you chose the Babylonians for your judgment work? Rock-solid God, you gave them the job of discipline? You can't be serious. You can't condone evil, so why don't you do something about this? Why are you silent? This outrage, evil men swallow up the righteous, and you stand around and watch. Habakkuk goes right back to Yahweh in honest, raw engagement, lament. God, what are you doing? I don't get it. And Yahweh responds. Uh, there's a very touching part of the story here that we can miss where the text says, and the Lord answered me. God shows up. And, and what he says to Habakkuk is, Habakkuk, there's, there's a bigger picture here. There's, there's a vision. There's, there's something going on. I'm, I'm doing something here. You, you may not see it all, but, but there's a bigger picture, a bigger perspective that you're a part of and that Israel's a part of. And, and the key to Yahweh's response is in Habakkuk 2.4 where he says, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by faith. And if that sounds familiar, it, it, it should, right? The righteous will live by faith. What Yahweh is saying is, uh, the ones who are right with me are the ones who put their trust in me. That we live through our trust in God. That is how we become right with Him, is through trusting Him. Not a righteousness of our own, Paul will say, but a righteousness found in the person of Jesus. One Jewish rabbi uh, puts it this way. Uh, Moses gave Israel 613 commandments. David, in Psalm 15, reduced them to 11. Micah to 3, uh, walk justly, love kindly, uh, um, and Isaiah to two, but Habakkuk to one command. The righteous shall live by faith. The, the Jewish people really saw that that is what it all boils down to. Righteousness before the Lord is found in trusting him. And Yahweh is saying to Habakkuk, there's a bigger picture here, there's a bigger story and you need to trust in me. You will find true life there. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, repeats this phrase in Romans 1, verse 17, where he says the gospel is that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Well, what's I think wonderful about the story of Habakkuk is um, as much 
as Yahweh's response is helpful to him. He's still not completely satisfied. He still laments. He says, Lord, I've heard the report about you, and I fear, O Lord. Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, uh, make it known. And then Habakkuk says, in your wrath, remember mercy. I heard and my inward parts trembled. At the sound, my lips quivered. Decay enters my bones and in my place I tremble because I must wait quietly for the day of distress for the people to arise who will invade us. Habakkuk faces the facts. Though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, though the flocks shall be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle. I mean, think of an agricultural community where all these things disappear. The olives, the grapes, the sheep. This is a time of trouble. Habakkuk says, Yet I'll exult in the Lord, I'll rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me to walk on high places. Hinds feet in high places, a Christian classic by Hannah Hernard. Hinds feet in high places. This idea that, that because the Lord is the source of his strength, Habakkuk can stand and, and move to a place of high ground in the midst of the distress. Habakkuk prays himself, laments his way into this place of hopeful trust. And the question for us, I think, is, well, how do you get there? What can we learn from Habakkuk to become people of, of hope? Uh, people who can find our strength in the Lord. That, that phrase, uh, the Lord God is my strength, Habakkuk here is, is picking up on, on a long tradition of God's people finding strength in him. Another translation of that verse has it this way, the sovereign Lord is my source of strength. He gives me the agility of a deer. He enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. If you think about these various passages where we see the strength of God, the joy of the Lord is my strength, the Lord is the strength of my life, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. To be, he prays for the Ephesians that they be strengthened with power by the Spirit. He says that when he's weak, he is strengthened. These aren't just flowery words, right? There's some reality to the strengthening presence of Christ. There's really a kind of strength we can draw off of from the person of Jesus. By his spirit, he's with us. He's the source of our strength. And as we find strength in him, we're able to hope, even when we don't know for sure. But again, how do we come to that place of finding our strength in Jesus? I, I thought of an image that um, Jonathan Anderson 
shared with us a couple Advents ago. If you haven't been here for Jonathan Anderson's Advent meditations on uh, works of art, uh, I'm, I'm not going to do one right now. I, I couldn't if I tried, but Jonathan showed us this picture of uh, Jesus calming the storm. Well, he hasn't calmed it yet, actually. Uh, in the Sea of Galilee with his disciples from Matthew chapter 8. This is a Rembrandt painting. And as we think about the strengthening presence of Jesus, I thought of this image of Jesus asleep in the boat, in the storm. And Jesus wasn't asleep because he didn't care. He was asleep because he was relaxed. He wasn't worried. He's asleep in the back of the boat in the storm while the disciples are going crazy because he knows some things that they don't know. He knows that ultimately it's going to be fine. And the disciples finally scramble their way to Jesus because they don't have any strength and they've lost hope. And if you know the story, Jesus calms the wind and the waves. And so as we think about how to find our strength in Jesus, I think one of the ways to think about this is how can I pay attention to Jesus? He's in our boat. But if we're not paying attention to him, we're liable not to find the strength we need to hope. How do we pay attention to Jesus in the storms of life. I want to leave us with two practices of attending to Jesus. Two practices of t- attending to Jesus. You know, the Christian life really is a life of practices. Daniel was talking about practices earlier and our kids watching us practice. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, whatever you've heard, whatever you've seen, whatever you've learned from me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Coming to Jesus isn't just about getting our sins forgiven so we can go to heaven when we die. It's about practicing the way of life that he lived. It's about entering into the kingdom of God through these practices. Um, There's this quote I love. Uh, I don't know if you can read it. It's by W.H. Auden. Uh, I found it in the front of a book. I don't even remember what book it was now, but I took a picture of it. Auden says, choice of attention to pay attention to this and ignore that is to the inner life what choice of action is to the outer. In both cases, men and women are responsible for their choice and must accept the consequences. Quoting Ortega y Gasset, he says, tell me to what you pay attention and I'll tell you who you are. Tell me to what you pay attention and I'll tell you who you are. What are the practices in our lives that keep our attention on Jesus in our boat, in the storms? What are the practices that we engage in to, to as uh, the Apostle Paul might say, to set our mind on things above where Christ is? Well, I want to I mention two practices. I'm, I'm sure they're practices that you're familiar with. The first is the practice of biblical lament. Biblical lament. One of the things that we see in the book of Habakkuk is that Habakkuk 
laments. Habakkuk is not afraid to bring honest speech to God. He's not afraid to express his confusion, his disorientation, his anger. He's not afraid to talk back to God when things seem to be getting worse, not better. See, lament is such an important practice because if we don't engage God in our disorientation, then we won't engage God in a lot of seasons of our lives. We need to be practicing lament in the good times so that we know how to talk to God when the lights go out. So that we know how to pay attention to Jesus when life doesn't make sense. And I don't know about you, but I've had to literally practice lament. Uh, Praying prayers of complaint was not something I was used to growing up in the church. I had to start with silly stuff. I mean, I, I literally remember one day thinking, okay, I don't know how to lament. So I just chose something kind of silly. I think we were having car problems at the time. And so I just started lamenting to God about our car engine and how it was breaking down. I mean, talk about a first world problem, right? And it was hard, and I felt like I was whining, but I wanted to practice that God can handle my disappointment, my frustration, my confusion, my anger, so that I could develop that prayer language so that when the big things in life explode, I know how to engage God, not try to clean up my prayer, not try to come to God with the right words, but just let him have it. See, Habakkuk and the psalmists and Lamentations, they, they model for us that God can handle our prayers. Job is, is, is the, the kingpin here. I mean, Job just lets it rip. At one point, he says, obliterate the day I was born. Black out the night I was conceived. He says to God, I wish I hadn't been born, God. And Yahweh, at the end of Job, says Job was the only one who spoke rightly. And the only thing Job did was speak honestly. The the practice of lament is so important for our lives to pay attention to Jesus when things aren't going the way we want them to go. Um, I was thinking of a friend of mine who went on um, our church's psalms retreat. If you haven't had the opportunity to go on the psalms retreat, be looking for an opportunity to go. It's quite a powerful experience. And this friend of mine went recently, and I I, I asked him, I said, how did it go? And he said, you know, he said, I think I've been using my confusion and anger to keep God at arm's length. Instead of using my confusion and anger as a way to draw near to God in lament. And that's it. See, lament is the language of Scripture when we don't know what to say or when the only things we have to say are, where are you, Lord? How long, O Lord? What are you doing, Lord? I thought you were good. And so we need to practice lament in the storms of life. Uh, But there's another way, uh, another practice that I think is important that we can draw near to Jesus. And it's to reflect on 
who else is in your boat? Jesus is in our boat, but who else is in your boat? Because sometimes, many times, maybe all the time, we need other people in our boat to point us to Jesus or to be Jesus for us, to hope for us when we can't hope anymore. Now, I have to admit, you don't see a lot of this in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk looks like a solitary individual crying out before the Lord. Except there's one line in the story of Habakkuk. It's the last line. Ursula read it to us. The very last line of the book of Habakkuk, it says, To the choir master, to be sung accompanied by strings. And that reminds us that Habakkuk wasn't really writing this psalm of lament all on his own. He was part of a community. He was writing it for a people. There were folks in his boat. Job, I think, again, is perhaps even a better uh, model of this. This is what I'm going to call the practice of spiritual friendship. Uh, One of the most moving passages in the book of Job, in my opinion, is Job 2.11. Now, when Job's friends heard of all this adversity, they came each one from his own place. They had weird names too, Eliphaz, and uh, I have them here somewhere. Bildad, Zophar. But these, these three friends, we give them a bad rap, right? But, but when they heard of Job's adversity, they started walking. Not, not away from him, but towards him. They weren't afraid to sit in his ashes, to get close to the pain and the grief. See, that's spiritual friendship. I'm calling it spiritual friendship because, folks, uh, the practice of friendship is one thing. The practice of spiritual friendship is a whole nother level. Because when you have spiritual friends, what you're doing is you're covenanting with them. And you're saying, I want to be there for you when the lights go out. I want to be a person in your life to point you to Jesus. And they're saying back to you, I I want to be that person for you too. We need friends where we are explicit about our need for them spiritually. Because if we aren't explicit, those friendships will go in all sorts of wonderful and interesting places. But I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to never get around to talking about Jesus. And so I need people in my life where the first thing we talk about is Jesus. That's the primary thing we talk about is Jesus. Otherwise, I'll just leave Jesus for the end if we get there. The practice of spiritual friendship is a practice You actually have to do it, right? We have to call people up and say, I have spiritual needs that are meant to be met by God's people. Can we get together for coffee and not talk too long about the coffee or the news or whatever else and get down to talking about what's going on in our lives? Where is God at work? What are the storms Because if we don't have these people in our boat, I think we're going to have a hard time paying much attention 
to Jesus. So, Daddy, think we're going to catch any fish? Well, I hope so. And we did. And the Daddy. Daddy, do you think I'm going to grow up and get married and have kids like you and mommy? I don't know for sure, honey, but I hope so. I don't know what the hopes are in your life. I don't know what the things are that you really want to have happen. But you don't know for sure. We need to be people of hope in the storms around us, in the storms of our lives. We need to pay attention to Jesus, who's the strength of our life. We need to practice to do that. Two practices are biblical lament, spiritual friendship. Let me pray. Lord, how long? Why? I thought you were good. Dare we hope, Jesus, that you're in our boat and that you're relaxed, you're not worried. Jesus, help us to come to you whatever we're feeling whatever the words we have or even if we don't have any words and Lord help us to find the people who will be with us who will hope for us who will point us to you I thank you for uh, these people for this time in your name we pray